Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks and a move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 237. Well, just ahead, we start the new year looking back at a couple of companies where insiders are buying a lot of stock. Starting with High Peak Energy, where insiders see something big coming in this oil stock. And Texas Pacific Land Corporation, where one little buyer might know a whole lot. And a fascinating conversation with Marketa CEO Simon Kloff. This cool payments technology company, well, the question is, can it grow beyond its partnership with Square? We're going to talk to the CEO and find out. But before all that, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more and get 20% off if you use our link, Braintrust.com slash drill down. I'm Futurum's Chief Market Strategist, Corey Johnson, with Futurum's The Drill Down where we explain the business stories behind some stocks in a move. Joining me the mic today, Ben Wilson, who's been with the drill down well since the very start. I've been here the whole time. Thank goodness. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, let's look at High Peak Energy. High Peak Energy trades with the ticker HPK with a market cap of about $2 billion. Shares were up 3% in the last week, but for the last 12 months, shares are down 34%. What's the story with High Peak Energy, and do you have any puns queued up about how their stock chart does not necessarily have a high peak? Yes, I, all I could think of was one of my favorite Nepalese restaurants, which is called High Peaks. But Not uh, what I would have had in, in fact, mind, but I'll take it. You, in fact, looked at that stock chart and didn't see a lot of high peaks. There's some low peaks lately, and yet there's some insider buying. So for, for, but first, before we get there, okay, High Peak Energy, uh, it's an independent oil and gas company, oil and natural gas um, and uh, it's somewhat of a new company founded in 2019. They're drilling in the Midland Basin in Texas, and they're going to in Howard County where most of the wells were simple old wells where they drilled straight down and not too deep and found oil and gas, sucked it all out. Well, now they're going back into these wells, drilling a little bit deeper, maybe the same depth and drilling horizontally, and they're getting some success uh, where they hadn't found it before. Um, in order to get that success, I, you mentioned the, the $2 billion market cap, this company has about a $3 billion enterprise value. Why? Well, that's always the same story. Lots and lots of debt. Um, they uh, had a ton of debt, uh, not least of which a $1.2 billion um, uh, set of notes that were due the beginning February of this year. They restructured those, got some new term loans out at $1.2 billion. And, uh, and as such, um, they were able to restructure their debt. And one looks at that debt and says, boy, if they could just pay that down... They could offer a dividend, a bigger dividend. Uh, more earnings might flow to the bottom line. And when you look at, and as I teased at the beginning of the show, when you look at the insider purchases of stock for this company, you see that the CEO has been kind of backing up the truck here. Um, he has been kind of regularly buying shares uh, in the, let's call it December, uh, November, December period, buying uh, hundreds of thousands of shares in the company. And, you know, the old saying on Wall Street is there's lots of reasons to sell stock. There's only one reason to buy it. And this guy's been buying a lot of it. Could he be wrong? 
Well, he surely could. He bought shares a year ago. As we mentioned, the stock's down about 30% since then. Nonetheless, buying a lot of stock, and you wonder when he looks at the new debt situation of the company, what's he going to do uh, in terms of retiring that debt? And as cash starts to flow in, what would they do with that cash? Well, here is High Peak Energy CEO and new owner of more shares of High Peak Energy, Jack Hightower. We will be retiring debt through the amortization. We also have a cash sweep opportunity. And so when we're building cash sitting on our balance sheet, we might as well get good utilization of that cash. And two ways to do that is to support our share price by having a stock repurchase and then also returning more capital back to the shareholders by increasing our dividend. So it's a combination of things that we're going to balance as we go forward recognizing that our debt is going to be going down and we're going to be so healthy within the mid-year of 2024 from a financial perspective. It gives us that luxury to do that, especially when we're not trading for a price that we feel like is fair in the marketplace. So putting his money where his mouth is, Ben, um, and buying a lot of shares, even as the company is starting to uh, pay down debt or at least Sounds like they're considering it, even as the debt uh, is so newly minted. Corey, what is your next drill down? Well, let's stay in Texas with the Texas Pacific Land Corporation. And yes, we're going to stay in the land of people who are buying, insiders who are buying shares. A lot of land to stay in in Texas. Texas Pacific Land trades with the ticker TPL. Market cap of about $12 billion. Shares were down 2% in the last week, but for the last 12 months, shares are down 24%. So why look at Texas Pacific Land? Well, uh, strangely, even though this company doesn't do much other than buy and hold land, you probably write a book about Texas Pacific Land. Uh, as I mentioned, they, they don't do anything with the land in particular, um, it's a, it's an, it's kind of like an, an oil and gas exploration company. They buy in minority stakes and sometimes bigger stakes uh, in in places where oil and gas is being drilled or has been drilled or where water uh, is being drilled. Uh, either coming up with that water in the process of oil and gas that's quite valuable uh, when it's used for pumping and things in oil and gas. Uh, and then they provide some services to these companies to make sure they get royalties for the mineral rights, uh, for whatever's found in them. Rich history with this company, all the way back to the 1870s, if you can believe it. Um, at one point, the United States government contracted Texas Pacific to build a transcontinental railroad. However, they didn't get around to building the railroad. They laid down a lot of track and went bankrupt. And they protected the land by holding it in a trust. And then eventually oil was found in some of that land. And, you know, Texaco was involved here for quite a long time here. Then when Texaco got bought by Chevron, um, those those lands were being used uh, by Chevron to drill oil. So what's interesting about this company right now to me is the stock buying that has been going on by one director of the company, a guy named Murray Stahl, who is the chief investment officer for a New York-based uh, financial firm called Horizon Kinetics. Um, Murray Stahl is on the board of directors, as I mentioned. He owns over 10% of the company. And every single day... Uh, at least for the last quarter that I'm looking at, he's been going in and buying shares. Or Horizon Kinetics, his firm, has been going in and buying shares. And when I say buying shares, okay, let's get to some of the peculiarities here. Uh, Texas Pacific Land is an odd duck. Why such an odd duck? Not because it's got a $13 billion market cap. Uh, because the share price 
is about $1,600 per share. So our, our man Murray has been going in there and buying like three shares every day. And then it was down to two shares. And then in October, it was one share a day. And then he went back to three shares a day. Just, just a little bit. Just, just picking up some scraps. And then he started to pick up the pace a little bit in December. Then it was 14 shares a day. And it was 14 shares every day towards in the end of December and into January now. Um, and so he has accumulated over a million dollars worth of stock here. Um, and uh, it's... It's really, I say a million dollars. He is, uh, in the last quarter, he has bought about $750,000 worth of stock. But uh, uh, he's got a substantial holding in the company right now. And uh, it's it's quite a sight to see here uh, with this sort of dribs and drabs of purchases uh, a little bit every day. And it maybe it's not just about oil. could also be about water. Yeah, water sales on the lands uh, owned by Texas Pacific have been substantial. And uh, and the more drilling that happens on this Texas Pacific land, the more, uh, in fact, you see the company uh, uh, have water uh, either nearby or right on those lands. Uh, and that's good for this company and the sale of water because they get paid for that and the gas. Why don't we listen to what the CEO had to say about that on their most recent company conference call, which is on November 2nd with CEO Ty Glover. Water sales is, is typically paralleled with completions activity. Um, but I think, you know, like Chris mentioned earlier, when you look at, uh, you know, the wells that have been recently spud in this last quarter and our permit count being up so high, I think that is definitely an indicator that there will be a lot of uh, completions activity in the coming quarters, which is really good for water sales, uh, you know, both on the brackish and treatment side, as well as the produced water side of the business, because once you get that flow back, that water's got to go somewhere. And so to answer your question, uh, you know, the things that we've talked about on the call here are good indicators for future uh, water revenue. So, yeah, future stuff going on with oil is future stuff going on with water. And either way, that's good for Texas Pacific. And maybe it's one of the things our man... Murray Stahl season. I should mention Murray Stahl has long been a value investor on Wall Street. He sort of made his name in the 70s telling people they should go buy shares of General Pacific Utilities, the owner of a thing called Three Mile Island, which was the site of the U.S. worst ever nuclear power accident. Investors who took his advice back in 1979 benefited from it because that stock did quite well in the early 80s after his recommendations. Corey, what's your next drill down? I'm going to look at a company where the, where the story is not insider buying, but uh, just a fantastic performer uh, in 2023 and a really strong performer in the last month of 2023. A firm? Is that who you're talking a about? A firm holdings, yep. That'll do it. A firm holdings series with the ticker AFRM with a market cap of about $13 billion. Shares were down 15% in the last week, but who cares about the last week? Because in the last year, shares are still up 378%. That's a number that I feel would be affirming to anybody who bought the stock. But what do I yeah, know? Yeah, and not to all those people who are short the stock, because there are so many of them. Um, but uh, this company def de defies, money-losing company, defying 
expectations of some of its critics. Now, the, a, a firm, a uh, financial technology company, lets consumers um, split payments into installments, buy now, pay later, basically. Uh, and they have been expanding really rapidly during the pandemic, uh, during online shopping uh, seasons that went on for a good year or two. And then as, as consumers have come back to the stores, buy now, pay later has been very hot, especially during this last holiday season. Uh, the stock has done, as you mentioned, really, really well. Now, one of the reasons it's done well is uh, they're in more and more places, not least of which Amazon. One of the reasons I got into Amazon, this is one of the things the short sellers like to bring up, is that they've been able to essentially give warrants uh, to their uh, to Amazon saying, if you hit some certain metrics using our service, we're basically just going to issue a ton of stock to you worth over $100 million. Uh, and those warrants help them land Amazon as a client. Amazon has not cashed in on all those, but the fear is that someday Amazon's going to walk in and others will walk in, cash in all their warrants, dilute the existing shareholders, send the stock reeling. Uh, but in the meantime, a firm uh, is, is logging lots and lots of revenues, mind you, no profits. But uh, the question investors on the bullish side say, hey, why don't you just become a bank and you'll be more ironclad and more protected uh, with federal banking laws? Uh, and are you kind of by issuing cards and, and competing with other uh, buy now, pay later companies, maybe there's a, it's kind of a backdoor way to get into banking. Well, here is the CEO, Max Levchin, being asked that exact question at a November 14 investor forum. No, we're not constructing a backdoor into banking. We, we do not intend to lend from these deposits, certainly not in the roadmap right now. It is exactly what I said it was. So at PayPal, when we went from you can't store a balance, you can store a balance, we saw an increase in transactional velocity because once you have money in your pocket, you intend to or you tend to spend it a little bit sooner. And so as consumers pick up a firm, they say, oh yeah, I do have a balance there. That's what I'm going to use. So it, it, it's all about that, more about that, and access to cash and all the sort of things that you do with a transactional account. It is not something, we don't have a bank charter. We're not looking for a bank charter right now. We wouldn't be able to lend against it even if that was on the roadmap, but it isn't. So that, that, that's entirely a feature-related development. And we've said it before, just sort of double-click on that a little bit harder. We won't seek a bank charter until we see a feature that we have to have one for. So if there was something on the roadmap that we said we have to build this because it's so on mission, so important to us, the only way to do it with a bank, then we'll talk about getting a bank charter. Bank charter for in and of itself is not a a positive or a negative is just not the thing in front of us right now. So bank charter not on the map. If the bulls are thinking this could end up as a, a regulated entity and maybe a little safer in a financial downturn, um, that doesn't seem like it's being considered at all by Max Levchin. But uh, the stock price has done fantastically, even if the business is yet to turn a profit. All right, well, coming up next, our guest, Marquetta CEO, Simon Kalaf. A very interesting company, also in the payments technology business, and uh, firmly attached to Square, uh, the company now known as Block, but you're familiar with them from the retail location, Square. They had a very profitable deal with Square that Square um, uh, renegotiated with them to a much less profitable way. But the question is, how is this company going to go on without its one-time massive partner, Square, still a partner but paying so much less? Simon Clough tells us just that right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever with ERA. Customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A, 
Drilldown.com. Welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We are joined right now by the CEO of Marketa and the CEO, Simon Califf, joins us. Um, Simon, the most annoying thing to me about your company is that Marketa is spelled with a Q and not a U, but otherwise a fascinating business. It is fascinating indeed. Thanks for having me, by the way, Corey. I really appreciate it. We can add, uh, a, we can add a U if you want. <laughs> no, no, no. I really, uh, you've, you've, you've done well uh, enough. I do, I do see uh, your headquarters there in Oakland, California, Indeed, I passed by them uh, this morning, as it happens, cool. in the wee hours. Um, uh, why are you guys based in Oakland, California? I love that you're right there by Lake Merritt in a big old building on Grand Avenue. I mean, there's a lot of roots here. Our, our uh, founder, uh, Jason Gardner, who's now our exec chairman, uh, lived here. Uh, so, and there's a lot of employees in Oakland. So, that's kind of where the company is rooted. So, um, how do you describe what your business does? Yeah, I, I mean, I, sure. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll give it a shot. So, uh, <laughs> so Marketa is, we started as a modern card, credit card issuer or modern card issuer. And uh, we expanded a little bit more outside just card issuing. So when we say modern card issuing, it kind of like thinks of a card as a digital product. Uh, instead of a piece of plastic that does not uh, interact with with uh, the digital life that we have today, so that's kind of like and and we power a lot of uh, highly innovative uh, use cases uh, such as on demand delivery with Uber, DoorDash, uh, neo banks, or uh, like uh, highly innovative fintechs like Block or many established companies. Cash app, yeah. Uh, Cash app, that's correct. Yes. So. Yeah, talk to me. What what is a what is a uh, an experience a digital experience that is separate from a plastic card? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the the biggest thing that I think we're waking up to is a generation that has never been to a bank that probably would never touch a piece of plastic. It is I call it. It's the iPhone generation that's now thirteen, fourteen years old, and it's eventually going to go to work. And they're used to what I would call the mobile pay experience, whether it's Apple Pay or Google Pay. And they're used to everything being personalized to them. So uh, they're, they're, I'd say the music list uh, is through Spotify, is personalized. Their newsfeed is personalized. What they see, what they read is all personalized. And they want their financial services experience to be exactly the same thing. So... Uh, so effectively, it's mobile payment, it's touchless payment. Uh, they want to apply for a card. They want to get it instantly, <laughs> faster than they can actually see a TikTok video. And they want to immediately transact through through Apple Pay. Uh, they, want, uh, they want to be notified every time a payment is there. They want the statement to be live like a feed. So everything you'd expect from a digital product that I'd say is on the homepage of, or on the dock of your iPhone is what they expect from a financial services product. Same thing around around credit and around getting credit. If you look at the great innovation in, in buy now, pay later, you're getting just in time underwriting. It's not that you're you're filling a form, uh, waiting, sending uh, sending a letter, uh, sending them all your finances, and uh, getting uh, effectively credit. You're actually going and shopping, and in the flow. If, if you're shopping, you're actually getting credit. That's what effectively buy now, pay later is. So a lot of things, it's about instant gratification. That's kind of what, what we look for. 
Does the disintermediation of the rails of the traditional methods of processing a payment from the consumer uh, and the merchant or for the merchant and the consumer passing through the bank, that that very, very convoluted system, which has built some giant companies, not least of which Visa, speaking of great uh, financial behemoths of the San Francisco Bay Area, um, does the disintermediation of the rails allow you uh, or is it even necessary for you to provide those kinds of services that you're describing? Uh, absolutely not. I mean, we do, we do use the rails uh, and uh, I mean, wh where, where we can. I mean, uh, uh, we actually work with Visa, we work with MasterCard, and then we work with Pulse in, in outside the, the, uh, the U.S. Whenever there's uh, A to A, like, B, uh, B, uh, like open banking, we can provide that. But I think the rails provide a lot more than a payment mechanism. Yes, it's complicated, but uh, for technology, and that's the beauty, is that we, we've obfuscated all the complexity of this from our partners and our customers. But also I'd say the, the, the safety, the security, the chargebacks and the disputes that the consumer gets from uh, networks such as schemes like Visa and, and MasterCard is something that consumers actually like because they feel safe using, uh, using those payment vehicles. So we sit on top of that and I think the consumers uh, actually celebrate this. So um, who pays you and how do you get paid? Uh, so uh, Marketa takes, uh, when we process, so let's say with every swipe or a tap, uh, there's something called processing. So we authorize the transaction. And then uh, for the amount that's being asked based on uh, uh, either rules or what's, what's available in the account, and then, or whether you have, you have credit. And then we process that volume and we settle with the network. So uh, we take money from the issuing bank and we pay the network and the network pays the, the acquiring bank and the acquiring bank pays the merchant. So we take a, a certain percentage in basis points, small, small percentage of that transaction. So that's how we get paid. I mean, you can think about it. I mean, there, usually there's an interchange in the United States. So uh, for every transaction, let's say 200 basis point, it's taken from the merchant and giving to the issuing bank. We take a portion of that or we take a SaaS fee, which is just the 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 in return for the value we provide. You've seen tremendous, tremendous growth in the number of transactions. I think 33% last quarter, year over year. Uh, that's right. I mean, we've seen uh, 10x, which is, I, I don't know what it is in percentage, but it's 10 times where we were in 2019. And the beauty is that the growth, growth is not slowing down. So yeah, we 10x since 2019. When what's responsible for that growth? Uh, I, I'd say the the stability of the Marketa platform is is uh, because we now have scale and we have innovation. So a lot of our customers like the fact that we have scale. So they so we're we're kind of like a safe bet, but also we continue to innovate. But I would say the digital life is what's giving us this uh, growth. So. Uh, we, we've supported many use cases, starting with neo banking uh, to uh, uh, to buy now pay later to expense management to B two P payments to and now we're doing accelerated wage access. We're reissuing co brands. All of this is leading. It's like compounding growth because the platform has supported multiple use cases, which means you don't have to add as many new customers to see. Or, or wait on sort of the, the GDP growth or whatever to, to grow your business? 
Yeah, there's there's plenty to pick from the existing uh, GDP. I mean, if you look at it, I mean, the U.S. GDP is 20, 20, call it like the 2022 GDP was 23 trillion. And if you look at all this growth that we have achieved, uh, we are only 1.5% of Visa and MasterCard's volume in the countries with operate. So we still have 98.5 to chip at, but that industry also is growing 7 to 10%. So uh, there's plenty of growth ahead. Of it. We're just getting warmed up, I'd say. As you expand this business, you know, what are the kind of big targets for you to get hit that growth? Yeah, uh, I'd say there's three uh, fast growing use cases in addition to what we have supported. The first one is accelerated wage access. I think we live in a world where like consumers get everything instantly they want to get their pay instantly. Like when you finish a shift, you want to swipe and you want to get paid. I mean, why not? <laughs> I mean, why wait 15 days to get paid? So uh, that's the way we've implemented it is good for the employee, good for the employer, and of course, good for the ecosystem. So, so that's a very fast growing use case. The total available market in terms of volume is about a trillion dollars. The second one who's, is- who's, Well, let me, let me, maybe you can cite a customer sure. who's doing that kind of thing. Yeah, we, we, we've talked about uh, Walmart doing that through their uh, fintech uh, subsidiary. And we've also talked about Uber uh, doing it with Branch, one of our partners. So so Uber and Walmart are actually do, doing this. And I think their constituents are enjoying these services. But we have well, Think about many. how great that is for the overall economy too, right? Exactly. To have people have their money once they've earned it and spend it as soon as they've earned it. It's got to be good for the, you know, the, that more frictionless economy is good for the economic growth. Absolutely. And also, if you think about it, I mean, we are uh, we are the we are the largest economy in the world, yet 67 percent of our population lives paycheck to paycheck. Now, they're not dying out of hunger. So obviously, at the end of the year, they're spending as much as they're making. But if you look at it, most of them are in debt. So and at 22 percent APR and 7 percent inflation, you're looking at 29 cents out of every dollar is disappearing. So by us paying them immediately and removing that 22 percent APR because they actually have the cash uh, immediately, then we've actually saved them 22 percent and injected that into into the consumer economy, uh, into services and goods versus into interest rates. So even if we cut that in half, you've injected effectively about a trillion dollar into into the, the, the goods and services. What a fascinating way to look at it. Um, and it's, it's an interesting time, too, because there are so many financial innovations happening in terms of uh, making payments happen faster and, and close faster across the entire uh, financial ecosystem. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, news used to take twenty four hours uh, before the internet. I mean, that's what people d don't don't even remember that you had to wait for the six p.m. news or you have to wait for the newspaper to show up at your uh, doorsteps. And now, or, the, it or is, the fine the fine weekly magazines that I once worked it, for. Imagine that Time magazine. It, it, exactly, exactly. Right, those were in depth articles. Yes, but but imagine that 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 time has shrunk from. 24 hours into a fraction of a second on 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 X and and, and many other platforms, uh, and and the the expectation here for financial services is to follow the same path. When I deliver a service, whether I'm a company or a, a person, I need to get paid immediately. 
So that's why B2P payments is yet another growth vector for us. It's shocking to me that we still live in a world where you have to send an invoice and then look at it and then decide to sit on it for 45 days and pay versus why not pay instantaneously? It's like companies manage cash flow. Great. Now, when working capital was technically free the last 15 years, like interest rates were almost non-existent, right? Well, that's great. But when when working capital is at 12% interest every day, every hour matters. So by shrinking that that, uh, time lag between a payable and a receivable, then again, we've brought uh, prosperity to small businesses. We brought prosperities to companies. So that's another $1.8 trillion business that we can can tackle. And last but not least, I'd say the co-brand, the traditional co-brand card, which is... uh, Consumers are they they love the brands that they're addicted to, and they want the card to come from that brand. Uh, I would not be surprised if in ten years the top ten phone, uh, uh, the top apps on your iPhone will also have the top co-brands. So because that's what consumers love, and they want that brand addiction or the brand loyalty to extend into financial services. Simon Kalif is the CEO of Marketo. We appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. appreciate your time. All right, coming up next on the Drill Down, the bite. One number that will tell us a whole lot more about Marketo right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Futurum Group, where analysts, researchers, advisors, content creators, and marketing experts help business leaders anticipate and understand shifts in their industries and build strategies to leverage disruptive innovation. With deep analysis, Futurum Group's extensive industry experience delivers reliable research and data, thought leadership, and actionable advice to help you with your strategy and go-to-market efforts. Futurum Group. And we are back with the Drill Down Bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about Marquetta. It's not 510, Ben, I'll tell you that. That would be the area code. (laughs) <laughs> this Oakland company. This they're they're in this really cool building next to the um, the Catholic uh, cathedral on Lake Merritt in the heart of Oakland. If you watch the uh, animated show, the the Incredibles, I think mm. the first one. There's a fight scene on this on this sort of urban lake with these cool buildings, and the Marquetta building is there in the background, or at least a, a facsimile thereof. No, that's fun. But that's not the number. Not five one zero. No, the number that tells us a whole lot about Marquetta is four because they claim their reliability is four nines of reliability, four nines. It's a utilities came up with this crazy phrase about how reliable they were. It's been adopted by telcos and so on. It's 99.99% reliable every month in 40 plus countries. That's uh, so if you figure every month has 43,800 minutes, that means they're only down 4.38 minutes every month. <laughs> uh, interestingly, that exactly matches what uh, Amazon Web Services promises for its um, customers. But uh, hmm. 99.9949s, that's the reliability that Marquetta claims to have. All right. Maybe someday they'll get to a fifth nine. I know the power companies all aim for that as well. Interesting stuff and in reliability, interesting stuff. Listen to this business kind of turn here. And interesting, we hope, listening to our, our podcast, Futurum's The Drill Down, I said, uh, has been brought to you by Futurum. I'm Corey Johnson, and thanks to Ben Wilson, my fabulous co-host, and importantly, our editor extraordinaire, Futurum's The Drill Down, is a production of Futurum's Business Podcast Network. <laughs>